0: So tonight while 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 we were sitting, I was uh, thinking i wasn't intentionally thinking, but thoughts were arising, and it had they kind of had a little creative feeling to them because i I really to tell you the be to the honest of course i wouldn't be dishonest, but to tell you the truth, I never know what i'm going to talk about exactly. I I thumb through my readings and I may gather something that comes out at me that I always, that I think will be useful to say. But, and I did have a few ideas earlier this evening about, that I mentioned in the talk, in the uh, instructions about uh, what opposes calm, what makes it difficult to feel calm is that having our mind in a different location than our body. That's that's number one cause of dis-ease. But as I was sitting, I got a completely different little flourish. And the first thing that came to my mind was a passage, which I just looked up on my phone, from Rabbi Hillel. And Rabbi Hillel lived in 30 B.C., so a long time ago. And he said, if I am not for myself, who will be for me? And if I am only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? That's it. That's kind of a famous passage of his. If I am not for myself, who will be for me? If I am only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? And what came from the reflection on that that reading is that there is a an enormous emphasis in the modern uh, sharing and Um, practice of Dharma justifiably so to there is a movement that is at the heart of what's going on for us to take some responsibility be able to manage our own individual stress that we that it is really essential in this world to stop attributing our stress to everything that's going on in the world and to take some responsibility and to recognize the extent to which our stress is very much caused by in many cases is caused by our disembodiment, for one thing, just walking around just in living in virtual reality and mostly taking the ideas of ourselves to be the reality, the ideas of the world to be reality, and missing the, the vividness of, of real time. And without that orientation to real time, our senses become closed and we basically live in discursive thinking and then wonder why our life lacks a certain kind of, um, of intimacy and and why our rational mind uh, can't seem to figure things out. it we're left with this sense of, of tension and anxiety and worry and because most of what our rational mind is doing is it's It's solving a problem and I talk about this a lot that often the whole narrative of the identity view the view of ourselves, is that we are a problem to be solved and that problem if I have a problem that I have to solve then I have to I have to uh, use this time to solve my problem so that in the future it will be solved. And so the present time becomes my pass-through on my way to, the, to that imagined time when I will solve my problems. And what that turns our immediate life together, it, what it turns our life into a pass-through, an obstacle, an enemy. It, it, we just miss the only life, the only reality that we actually have, which is, tr- the truth is, it's just us sitting together right now. Everything else really in our life on present evidence is imaginary. And if we, so if we miss this, we miss the aliveness and the nurturing of real time. So it's really important as part of our calm. If I'm not for myself, if I don't actually come back to myself, I end up stuck in myself, spinning in that kind of discursive world of, of uh, constantly... Uh, orienting myself to problem solving. And then no wonder we need vacation so much, or we need time off, or we need this, or we need that. It's just to give us a little break from our problem solving. And Tuesday night, hopefully, is a little break from problem solving. Even though you may have come here to solve your problem. (laughs) (laughs) But of course, that passage doesn't say, if I'm only for myself, it says, if I'm only for myself, what am I? And part of the shadow side of this, of this incredibly wonderful movement of mindfulness and meditation and awakening for the purpose of taking responsibility and reclaiming our heritage, as Thich Nhat Hanh says. He he kept reminding us in his poem, he says, you are the richest person on earth who've been going around begging for a living. He said, stop being the destitute child. Come home. Reclaim your heritage. And that's a a beautiful part of of taking responsibility for our well-being and finding it not in... in, uh, fixing everything that needs to be fixed or blaming everything that needs to be blamed but by finding it in the heart of our own being that's a beautiful thing but the shadow side of that is we may be become we may become a little bit too focused on the first part if i'm not for me who will be for me we may easily miss in this particular age of awakening to our own individual responsibility. We may miss, if I'm only for myself, then, then what am I? i got to read that again just so I don't mess it up. If I am only for myself, what am I? It is the opinion of some observers that this mindfulness movement, this awakening movement, this spiritual awakening in our culture has actually not been such a great it's not been such a great thing for solving some of our really deep social issues. it hasn't it has not decreased the the uh, attempt to control women's bodies. It hasn't decreased the racism, the sexism, the, all the different kinds of biases, bias. It has not decreased the, the uh, gender pay gap. It has, not, uh, it has not solved many of our problems. So it's, in fact... Some observers would say it's gotten worse because everybody's busy awakening to their personal responsibility for their, me- for their suffering. So if I am only for myself, uh, what am I? Um, so, we, so, so this is a, really a call in my own mind not to only, I try to balance it, but not to only speak of of the capacity that each of us has to awaken. And I truly believe that the quality of your heart awakened, the clarity of your mind awakened, will naturally lead to more skillful action, skillful words, skillful means. I loved last week the, uh, our, our guest, Stephen Falder, who's the, the guy who lives in Israel, who many of you were here last week, but he talked about his peace work with the putting together you know Israelis and Palestinians and how they the meditation is such an important element in letting in teaching us a certain kind of uh, resilience and equanimity and capacity to to just hear the pain and sit with it and let and be yelled at and and be able to lower the heat in the uh, with with such intensity that can come of, of frustration and ill will, and this is you know this is where the rubber meets the road. How we are in our relationships, and part of that what allows us to develop that that skillful response to an interaction is to become more self-aware, more attuned. This is where the There is a a connection between opening to the reactive mind that we discover in meditation. So I talked about in the beginning of our our evening, I said, when your mind is uh, disconnected from your body, it opposes calm. What also opposes calm is reacting to the... To the stimulation that comes through our through our eyes, through our ears, through our nose, through our tongue, through our body, we react. When it's pleasant, we react with grasping. When it's unpleasant, we react with aversion. When it's neither pleasant or unpleasant, we're just spaced out. We're back in our little virtual world. Those reactions, they seem simple at first, but they they become those reactions become the cause of of anger, of, of greed, and all of those qualities of anger and greed, they, they increase our, our experience of stress in relationships. They increase our internal sense of dissatisfaction. And unless we are able to navigate the feelings of grasping and condemning our anger and sadness and fear, and really become more emotionally articulate, are those feelings will be constantly projected onto others as blame or demand or expectation, or the more unwholesome and unhealthy kind of hope, which is just where you're where you're waiting in a sense of suspended happiness, waiting for some the, something somebody to be different, and, or we're caught in some kind of longing. But if we're able to feel anger. Feel rage, feel grief, feel sadness. That very feeling that when unfelt sends us on an endless search for well-being and peace, it brings us right back to the point of peace. It brings us right back to the recognition that feelings are changing conditions. And when you feel things, not just think about them, they calm you. Even anger, Calms us when it meets a loving awareness. It becomes the cause and condition for compassion. When we feel how painful it is to be in a state of anger. So that, of course, there's an impact to to um, taking personal responsibility. I, I loved. I just want to stay on this side of of the benefit to all beings of self-awareness. I heard a wonderful interview or read about a wonderful interview with uh, Jada Pink- Pinkett Smith. Maybe some of you heard about it or read about it today. She was talking about her own, uh, her own uh, bias. She, when she was sp- supposed to be interviewed, she found out the interviewer was a blonde woman. And she noticed, because she has a lot of self-awareness, she noticed her automatic reaction. She says, I don't want to be interviewed by a blonde. She realized that she didn't like blonde, blonde white women. And for her to be able to track that and say, no, not all white women are the same. Not all blonde white women are the same. She was able to see her own bias and in that way uh, did a little internal peace that can cause peace, that could open her to, the, to others. So there's an enormous value in this, in this um, awakening uh, to our internal experience that causes us dissonance. And by attending to it, it there's something in us that calms. I know just hearing her, her own self-disclosure, her confess her own delusions, there was a, a kind of peace that came over me. I thought, oh, this is great. This is what I, I want all of us to do. Is to be able to just say it out loud. This is, I have this bias and, and I'm working with it. So all of that is benefited by having our attention here, slowing down enough to know what we're thinking, know what we're feeling, so that it doesn't automatically get projected on others. And then the, on the, the last piece of our personal responsibility and how essential it is in terms of the Dharma is our personal responsibility to grow in wisdom. Because most of our loss of calm, individually, is because of a case of mistaken identity. You know, we're, we're mostly identifying with our, well, I guess you could say, we're identifying with our bodies, first of all. And our bodies, when you know them well, they, you see that they, they have their own life and they do their own thing and there's no me and there's no mine in this body. It's like a it's, a, it's a rent-a-body, as Jack Cornfield says, and it's a changing condition, and it, and it doesn't necessarily respond very well to the, the, my will or my wish for it not to get old, not to get sick, not to die. And that, ca- that mistaken identity with the body that just is, is runs so deep, and I don't mean deep in some kind of obscure place, deep meaning well-practiced, that needs to be that needs to be unraveled that needs to be constantly reflected upon this body is not me this is not myself i am not this body body operates according to its own laws that the death will come to the one who is born and uncertainty when that will come but this is what this is body so so much stress comes from uh, from not being in harmony with the way the body is and it 's an interesting thing that happens when we start to to understand the body as the body there's a little of course there's still some automatic reactions to when the body gets sick or there's a lot of mental reactions, but it becomes much more understandable and easy, and it doesn 't necessarily have to disturb your calm because you 're getting more uh, gray hairs, or more lines, or, your, or more aches, more pains, uh, and more illness. This is just, like I always say, I've, I've ex- expanded on the Wiley's Dictionary definition of birth, which is the leading cause of death. I've expanded it to definition of birth, leading cause of aging, leading cause of illness, leading cause of dying. Uh, that's just the way it is. So to be in harmony with this brings peace. To be in contention with this brings a huge beautification bill. I was speaking to someone today who lives in a family. Half of her family are of this kind of unwise view, this kind of denial, this cult of youth, this this excessive uh, enchantment and identity with being young. And they're, they're under the knife every year or so with, with uh, facelifts and tummy tucks. And, and the person I was talking to on the other side of the family, she likes herself just the way she is. And she's you know, she's got lines and she's got this and she's got... she's more in harmony with the way things were were meant to age. in fact people are in some ways more beautiful when you see their their soulfulness when they just show their show their stuff but this denial that creates a lot of internal stress and vulnerability and insecurity. Now there's a middle way maybe it doesn't mean that you do, you just let your body go to You take care of it, and you can even take care of your skin in an occasional peel here and there, whatever. (laughs) But, But so much devotion to the denial of the natural aging process, that's stressful. So the identity with the body, the identity with moods. There's so much identity with moods. This is how I feel. Did you ever notice how long you feel what you feel? It's very quick. And feelings come all by themselves. Feelings go by themselves. The the feelings that come are not me. They're not mine. They're selfless. The sadness is sad when it comes. Anger is angry. You can't find in sadness or in anger, you can't find somebody who's sad or angry. That somebody who's sad or angry is a way of, of, of talking about it. But the experience of it is a, is a selfless process, an unbidden process of thoughts and feelings coming and going. To identify with them as me and mine, that's an extra application of what the Buddha called avidya, or ignorance. That's a case of making it into a view of self, sakaya ditti. And a view of self is not myself. It's just an idea. It's just a point of view. And as a view, completely... Insecure. So so much stress is caused by mistakenly identifying with our body, our moods, our thoughts. It's also just like I said, being in contention with the with the way of life that has, if you're born, you have lots of stresses. If you're not in harmony with the reality, that the mind is constantly fighting with that. And uh, it is possible, individually, to stop fighting with the reality that we find, including the reality of the world. We don't fight with the reality in the world. We don't. I just had a person on retreat this last weekend in in Arizona, uh, who, and thanks to I forgot where what for your, your name again, you, Melinda, Melinda, um, who Melinda that I had a Melinda I had someone who over and over again in every kind of every question said I'm struggling with this I'm struggling with this I'm struggling with this and it wasn't so much what she was what she was noticing it was the way she was reacting to it she was struggling with it and so we we want to We want to transform our reactive, struggling mind into one that's saying, yes, this is what's happening now. Feeling sad is like this. Feeling angry is like this. Feeling reactive is like this. This is part of the individual responsibility. But all of this, all of it, all of this individual awakening is in the service of making us available to what is needed In this world, is to unleash our caring heart. Maybe some of you have been exposed to the Tibetan tradition where there's a a very central teaching on the awakening of what's called, uh, on strengthening one's so called bodhicitta. Bodhicitta is that impulse to awaken, but it's never just the impulse to awaken by itself, it's the impulse to awaken. For the benefit of all beings. Awakening is really the realization. That if there is no independent self. That that we imagine. That's running the show of this mind and body. If we recognize the fallacy. The the case of mistaken identity. uh, With this idea of self. Then we will. Inevitably, experientially, understand the fallacy of there being other, and there's a, there's a one will see with the lessening of oneself, the filling of one's life with others and what's needed. So, you know, ideally, one of the benefits of the role here is because I'm pointing to this all the time is. Is when I'm sitting with you, my own experience is there's a little bit. It may not appear this way to you, and there, there may be little shadows of identity show up here. But but there's always it always feels like a little less of me when I'm here and a lot more of you, because I'm not busy thinking about myself. I'm just sharing the Dharma, and and aware that we are sharing a kind of field of, of interbeing, of connectedness. And the more I walk around this way, and the more I see, the, the more I read, the more I think... There, if, if, there's, if I'm not preoccupied with my own internal world, then I'm my mind is deeply moved by the... And I was talking to Dan before the evening. Deeply moved by our our um, planet catastrophe that we're in the middle of. And the, the and I'm so blown away by the obliviousness and then the helplessness and so much of what goes on around our, our, our planet. Fortunately, there are vigils like we had last Saturday here for that was only 125 people who were trying to, to cope with and give voice to and inspire the mobilization of, of uh, action and energy and concern for our dear green planet, as Thich Nhat Hanh would put it. But that it, we, can't, we can't just forget about that when we when we're taking personal responsibility. and Because ultimately our personal responsibility with the absence of the, of the preoccupation with our self-view, our responsibility is each other. And this shouldn't, this doesn't usually have to be told to people in more communal cultures, but we have gotten so individualistic and so uh, disembodied, that we we need to be remember who, where, our, what our relations are with this world and with each other. You know, like the Native Americans say, "Know know know where your water is. Know who's in this with you, and uh, and and do some good. Because it, you know, if I'm." If I'm only for myself, what am I? And then Rabbi Hillel ends his passage says, saying, if not now, when? And that goes for our personal practice and our personal and our our collective responsibility. We can't just wait until we're enlightened to help the world. Even though it is a help. It is, I, I often speak of it our practice as a kind of radical social action because the world's the way it is because people are the way they are. And if we're different within ourselves, the world will be different, but, we, but certain issues need to be corrected and we need to mobilize around mass incarceration and just there's so many issues. And it can all seem overwhelming, but I think in terms of the coaching world, I say, you know, what is it that really galvanizes your heart? What breaks your heart? And think about what 5%. You know, the 100% would be to kind of give your life over it. What would 5% look like? A call to how you could volunteer or something. 5%. And then another 5%. A little bit. Uh, days were a day's worth, a f- 10 minutes worth to start. Just a little bit of time until it, it starts to grow. But sitting, just sitting in our own little uh, helpless, hopeless, pessimistic, uh, defeated feeling, it's just not. All the meditation in the world's not going to heal that. So, I think that's probably... (laughs) We just got our signal. I read to you once more the words of Rabbi Hillel from 30 B.C. If I am not for myself, who will be for me? And if I am only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? So, may we all practice... For awaken, to awaken for the benefit of all beings and may every day may our practice be dedicated to that awakening and tonight we continue with the general tradition of considering if there has been some usefulness to this conversation and our practice together and we we share whatever usefulness whatever fruits whatever benefits whatever merit whatever blessings Uh, we share those blessings with the with a deep wish uh, that that all beings can have the same opportunity that we have to practice that it doesn't remain in a in a kind of privileged uh, condition that all beings can have happiness and the causes of happiness growing and all beings can be free of suffering the causes of suffering and that the suffering most of our suffering being caused by uh, unwise action of our bodies and our speech and our thoughts. A deep wish that all beings can recognize the sacred happiness that is the happiness of peace that's always to be found only here and now. Uh, and to the wish that all beings recognize that sacred happiness and never stray away from it. That we don't try to create it, but we reclaim it as our natural state. And that all beings can do that. And knowing that some many beings may not so easily be able to recognize the natural awareness and peace, uh, at least Let's wish that all beings can grow in serenity, like the people, like the like the practices going on in Israel, where they're where the Palestinians and the Israelis are getting together and they're and they're developing through listening. They're developing equanimity, uh, serenity, being able to sit with each other uh, without as much grasping and condemning. Just really finding peace in the middle of it all. So may all beings awaken, may all beings be liberated. May our practice benefit all.